You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We analyze the double tap seen around the world, our biggest takeaways from the Chiefs draft class, and which rookie we think will make the biggest impact in 2023. With Nick Schwer, I'm Kayla Canaram, and it's always game day in Kansas City. For, 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 all, for all things KC, for everything Chiefs, it's always, it's always game day in Kansas City. Now, here's your host, Kayla Canaram and Nick Schwert. Hey, I actually, I wanted to start with something specific. I hope Go you for it. I, I pray to God that you saw this. Oh, no. Over the weekend, draft weekend, did you see either live or the video that was making the rounds on social media? First round, Thursday night, Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Yes. <clears throat> he got drafted 14th overall, thank God. The butt tap? Yeah, so uh, for anybody who didn't see it, Lucas Van Ness, <laughs> Iowa, edge rusher, probably going to be a really solid pro. He goes 14th overall to the Packers, but he was not in attendance in Kansas City, so he was back at his home. And when the Packers called his name, they go live, they show the video footage of everybody going crazy in the living room. And you know those moments are so awesome because everyone is just sort of standing up looking for someone to hug. And at one point, his girlfriend, who, <laughs> as a side note, his girlfriend is the little sister of Cole Komet, who is the starting tight end for the Chicago Bears. Small world, right? And she, at one point, is looking for someone to hug, and then she goes straight to you know Lucas Van Ness's dad, who's standing there. And on ESPN, they catch the footage of Lucas Komet's or Lucas Van Ness's dad hugging her. And then as he's turning away from the hug, he gives it a nice little double tap on the butt. We'll spank it. And, and, you know, (laughs) I don't know where you come out on this because it's really easy to just say, Oh, you know, it's just sort of a wholesome, didn't mean anything by it. But you know, this, that once that video started going viral and Lucas Van Ness caught wind of it, there was a conversation that was had after that. Even if it was just like a, hey, pops, like what was what was that double tap about? Like, are you doing this routinely? Like, is this something that was an accident? Like, can you just kind of explain to me what was going on there? Because that's a conversation to be had. I'm not saying there was anything malicious going on, but if I'm putting myself in Lucas Van Ness's shoes, I probably have a few follow-up questions for my dad after that. I have a lot of follow-up questions. I'm just glad that Brent Musburger wasn't narrating this. Um <laughs> <laughs> You almost spit out your water. He would have had some good play-by-play for that. Right? Uh, But yeah, like, did he think he was hugging his wife? What is this just a routine thing he does when he hugs people? He just gives them a little butt tap? Hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't a a handshake line after a high school basketball game. No. This This isn't like a little league baseball game where you're, you know, giving them a little butt tap as they run onto the field. This is your son's girlfriend. Again, Maybe this is just who he is. Maybe he is a little league coach in his spare time, and that's just kind of a Well, that feels wrong, too. You know what? I don't know. I just don't think that's the time and the place to be given a double tap. I don't think that's the person you should be given double taps to. And the fact that it just made the rounds on the internet. Like, they all had to know this went down. Because it went in for the hug, and then the hug was sort of over, and then he sort of reached back in with the quick little boom-boom. This little, this little double tension. 
No one does that to you on the reg, Nick? No, I don't know. Like if someone did it to me, would I even notice? That's the thing. If someone gave me a hug and gave me a little double tap, I don't think I would think anything of it, but it's the setting. You, the cameras, national television, and, and it's the father of the, again, he's probably a great guy. I'm sure there's nothing weird going on there. But again, when it happens on television, there's probably a conversation that comes after that moment. I'm always hugging up here and I give the tap on the back. You always go high on the hug, no matter who it is? Yeah. It'd be weird to go low, I feel like. Is that what, what guys do? No, but I'm always... How tall are you? 5'5". Five, five. Okay, so your average height for... Your average height for a girl, right? Yeah. Is that is that about average? Yeah, 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. I, I like guess. I don't know. More, I feel like I'm shorter. Well, I feel like it's normal for the taller person to go high. Interesting. The taller person can't go low. Cause then the shorter person has to reach up higher. So like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm five eleven. you're five, five. If we hugged, I think by default, I would go high. You would go low. That's just, you know, I think, I think that's how the math would work out there. Now I need to hug someone to figure out what I do. <laughs> is, is there anybody else in the house? Call them in the room. Hey, no, we're doing a I'm study. Lonely. We're doing, doing a, study. a study. Yeah. We need to figure this out. I think my roommate's out. upstairs. Uh, okay, well, um, next time I hug someone, I'm going to take nah. special notice. And like, I don't Same. even know. Do I go high? Do I go low? I'll tell you one thing I definitely don't do. I don't tap. Double taps. Nope. I don't, I don't spank anybody when I hug them. <laughs> I don't think that's a part of my regular routine. No, I don't <laughs> think so. Oh, my gosh. I just like, yeah, the fact that they've just kind of glossed over it. No one said anything. If that I'm, was, if I'm part the of their moment. media, that's the first question I'm asking him. That was the best moment. That was the, a highlight for you from the draft, I, the entire draft. It just, hey, I was so tickled by that. <laughs> well, Nick, can we get a quick recap? How did of everything go weekend, for you? Of the weekend in general? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what an exciting weekend in Kansas City. I really didn't know what to expect ahead of time. Like, we talked about it and all the things and all the people that are going to be coming into town. And so you sort of get this idea in your head of how it's going to go. But until the weekend actually arrived, I wasn't really sure what it was going to feel like in Kansas city. And the second Thursday afternoon hit, that's when it even, even early in the week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it just kind of felt like a normal week. We were doing certain events and people were coming out and that was cool. There was a buzz in the air, but until Thursday afternoon hit and all of a sudden you start seeing those aerial shots of union station and all of the people that are showing up. That's when I realized, okay, this is freaking awesome. Like, this is really, really cool. I don't know exactly. They, they said the number, I think it was about 312,000 people who attended yep. the event over the three days. I think on Thursday night, inside sort of the fenced-in area of the, of the draft event, I think mm -hmm. they capped it at 60,000 people, which was a little bit lower than the number they had said ahead of time. But when you saw those photos and those videos... It did not look like it was a small amount of like that. I compared it to Woodstock. Like, oh my God, you see this shot from above Union Station of people going all the way up the hill to the memorial. And that was so, so cool. And I know there were people who were disappointed they got turned away, but. Really? Well, I mean, that's kind of the deal. Like you. Oh, wait, is it free or do you have to buy tickets? I should know this. I'm pretty sure it was free. 
all of it, like even the front, the upfront by the stage was free or did you have to have tickets? To get uh, into yeah, that area? There, were, there were separate areas. So you may have had to pay more to get in like that VIP area because there was two different fenced in areas. I think the one in the back was free, but and you could okay. buy, you could buy food and drinks once you got in there. But I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole idea is that this is a really cool event and like anything, you got to get there early and you got to stake out a good spot. And I know people who were got down there at like 12, one o'clock for an event that didn't start until what was it? Six or seven o'clock at night. So people took it very seriously. And, and I haven't talked to one person, not one person who went down there who had a negative thing to say about the experience. There were a few people I, I heard like secondhand that were disappointed that they got turned away and stuff. But by all accounts, Casey kind of knocked yeah. it out of the park. It was just, it looked really, really cool on television and the buzz around the town the night itself, the festivities starting off with, you know, Stone Street and Heidi Gardner coming out and <laughs> everything. And then Pat and Travis coming out with the Lombardi trophy. There was a real Kansas City flavor. And the best part about it, Kayla, I'm sure you saw some of this or maybe you didn't. But there were a few like national NFL writers who were. I don't know if they were just being curmudgeons, but they were talking online about how like, okay, we get it. This isn't the Kansas city super bowl parade. This isn't the party anymore. This is the NFL draft. This isn't all about the chiefs. It's like, well, you know what? When, it actually is. <laughs> you know what? When the NFL draft is in the city for the team that just won the super bowl for the, first for the very time, first time ever. Yeah. They're going to kind of take like, here's the thing too. We make somebody, the rules. Else was, somebody else was complaining about Clark Hunt saying, well, this game guy who shows up to all the owners meetings and he's always wearing the Super Bowl ring on his finger and like showing off and sort of rubbing it in everybody's faces. Like we get it. Hey man, that's the point of all of this. <laughs> what is the point of winning and like winning championships at the highest level, which is incredibly difficult to do. What's the point of it? If you can't rub it in people's faces, what's the point of winning a title ring and getting a Super Bowl ring? If you can't like wear it and be like, Check this out. <laughs> I got, you ain't got one of them, do you? Good luck. Better luck next year. It's the whole point of winning is to show everybody else, guess what? I won. You didn't. Nana nana boo boo. That's the whole <laughs> point of all of this. So if Clark Hunt wants to wear that ring and do cartwheels onto the stage while he's announcing the Chiefs pick at 31, so be it, man. Have fun. That's what sports is about. I'm biased. I'm a Chiefs fan. I thought the whole weekend was spectacular. I'm a little disappointed there wasn't more fanfare. I'm kidding. I, I thought it was so well done. Maybe confetti. I would have taken confetti. Um, well, we're gonna get in, we're gonna get into that 31st pick uh, later on in the show, but um, yes. they did it pretty well. I just thought everything was so well executed, and yeah, if you're not parading the Lombardi Trophy out on stage, you're doing it wrong. I thought everything was perfect. Quick question. I haven't dug enough to find the answer to this. Um, Kelsey Fast, was that the actual trophy or no? No, right? No. Then he slammed. Okay. God, no. Dude, there is no way they would let Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I mean, listen, I think they love Travis Kelsey in that organization. I don't think they're trusting him with the actual Lombardi trophy the night of his big party. Okay. Yeah, you know what, Travis? Just take care of it. We trust you, man. Absolutely not. Those things, they have so many replicas of that trophy. Like, if you watch some of the New Heights podcast, he's got a he's got the Lombardi trophy, like, in the background of his 
That was probably the one he used to. They don't. Yeah, there's there's one Lombardi trophy. And I don't know. There's certain rules about like how long the team gets to have it. And like maybe there's an actual trophy and then it goes in the trophy case for a year and then you give it back. But then they give you a replica trophy to keep. So I don't know exactly how many Lombardis are out there and what the protocol is. But one thing I know for sure that was not the real Lombardi trophy that Travis Kelsey was chugging a beer out off of in his concert. People were convinced. I was like, there's no way. But then I didn't see anything that disputed it. So I was like, well, well people are convinced. It's one of those say it out loud tests, Kayla. Like you got to ask, you say it out loud. Do you really think they entrusted Travis Kelsey with the actual Lombardi trophy and said, yep, just take care of it, bud. We trust you. Don't well, do anything did, we wouldn't do. They did let Tom Brady toss it across from boat to boat. That's true. But for him, that was like Lombardi number seven. So it's like, what's the big deal? What happened? Big deal if it sinks. <laughs> I've caught others. Exactly. Okay, let's get to the actual draft now, shall we, Nick? All right, let's do it. What do you got for me? It's officially in the rear view. What a fun draft it was. What was your biggest takeaway from how the Chiefs attacked this draft? Oh, man, there's a lot of different ways you could go with it. Um, I'll start with this. The first thing that I think about, maybe not necessarily this draft class, but to your question, how they attacked the draft. The Chiefs went in with 10 picks. And I think we all kind of knew they weren't going to draft 10 players. It just wouldn't have made sense because mm -hmm. there aren't 10 roster spots up for grabs on this team. You just, you didn't lose a ton. And with how much success you've had in the draft over the last couple of years, even if you had, you, you don't need to add 10 more guys. So we, I think we all kind of thought they're going to maybe get aggressive and move up. But we were, I think a lot of it was focusing on the first round. Like, will they move up and get somebody early in the first round? As a quick aside, they definitely wanted to. I know we both predicted, or at least I predicted. I can't remember what your final call was. I thought the Chiefs were going to trade up and, and draft Miles Murphy. Turns out they almost got him without trading up. He made it to the mm -hmm. Bengals. And by the way, I have heard it from Bengals fans. I hate that he went to the Bengals. Hate it. Have you seen some of the trash that I've been getting from Bengals fans? No, I, I did see one of your tweets. Well, I sent a tweet out after. on Thursday and I said, uh, Miles Murphy will be a chief. Let's speak it into existence. And then the Bengals drafted him. And then all of a sudden they must've been dra uh, searching his name. And they were like trying to clown me and dunk on me and say, oh, guess you were wrong about that one. I said, yeah, do you know how the draft works? The teams who lose more games, they get to draft ahead of the team that won the Super Bowl. You're not dunking on me. You're you're owning yourself in thinking that you're dunking on me. Tell me more about how the draft works. Because last I checked, the team that wins the Super Bowl, they go last. And all the teams that suck more than them, they get to draft ahead of them. So nice Seriously, brag. Nick, do your homework. Yeah, nice brag. Nice brag. And he almost got to us. And so whatever. Miles Murphy's a Bengal. I'm over it. And Felix, I'll tell you what. Kayla, and I think that was the name that you you had said as your official prediction. You thought the Chiefs were going to get at 31 or in the first round. Felix. Casey product, Casey Kidd. And so I was perfectly happy with that first round pick. He was a name we talked a lot about. I thought it was a perfect fit at 31. But the the main takeaway for me was the aggression. They had 10 picks. 
that is leverage, knowing you know you don't need 10 players. And in rounds two, three, and four, they got aggressive and moving up and getting the guys that they wanted. So once you got past pick 31, and it sounds like they tried to move up in the first round, the reports were that they wanted to move up to pick 25 and draft Mozzie Smith, the defensive tackle out of Michigan, who's just a physical freak. And once they called the Cowboys, and, and the Cowboys said, yeah, well, who do you want to trade up to get? And they said, we want Mozzie Smith. And they said, <laughs> no, because that's who we're drafting. So they wanted to move up, but the deals weren't there. And, and Veach hinted that there was some hesitancy from other teams that maybe didn't want to play ball with the Chiefs. I guess that's just shocking, right? That's what comes with being the best team is teams don't exactly want you to get better. So they sat there with everyone. They drafted Felix, but then from there on out, rounds two, three, and four, they traded up to get their guys. And that, I think, is draft masterclass. Hey, we don't have to trade up at the beginning. Everybody focuses on the first round and what you do in the first round. But we've seen in past years, Kayla, you can get really, really good players in rounds two, three, and four. I think that's where Brett Veach's strength has lied in the draft, is getting yep. those guys in later rounds that are maybe quote-unquote sleepers that they come in day one contributors. I mean, they were getting starters from the seventh round last year. So that to me was my biggest takeaway. They went ag aggressive, maybe not in the first round, but in rounds two, three, and four, they got aggressive going out and targeting the players that they wanted. And that to me speaks to a team that is in a very advantageous position in being able to target those guys, knowing we don't got a scatter shoot anymore. We drafted 10 guys last year. Nine of them played in the Super Bowl. Seven of them were virtually starters halfway through the season. That is an outlier of a draft class. Any team would take that any year. But after a year like that, you don't need that anymore. You don't need 10 more guys. Go and target and get the guys you want. Be aggressive. I thought Brett Veach did a perfect job of, of finding that, that nice balance between not overspending and not mm -hmm. getting too aggressive and not getting too caught up. And we love this guy. We'll give up whatever it takes to get him versus, okay, this is a nice pocket of value in the draft. There's a few guys we really like. They're on the board. Let's move up 10 spots. Let's move up eight spots and go and get our guys. That to me was my biggest takeaway. Okay. Well, we're going to get into the rookie class in a second, but there was a part of me for a second that thought they might be trading up to go after. Well, I'm saying this because I saw a video that went out after we had recorded of Zay talking to somebody where he's like, had a great workout with him. would love to be on the Chiefs. It went really well. So then I'm thinking like, wait, are we going to trade up for a wide receiver? Then we get our wide receiver in the second round, which I'm really super pumped about. And that went under the radar that he had also worked out with Pat, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that. We'll refer to the, those, those workouts as Camp Pat. Camp Pat. That's, that started last year when he has all the Chiefs wide receivers down to Dallas and sort of work out with them in the offseason when they can't be on you know team facilities. And it was last week when the reports started coming out, or it wasn't even reports, it was Instagram photos. Yeah, Zay saw, Quentin. Yeah, Zay Flowers, who went to the Vikings, 24th overall, I think it was. And... I, or is it Jordan Addison that went? It, either way, Zay Flowers went to... Now this is going to bug the hell out of me. 
Who did Zay Flowers go to? Did he go to the Ravens? Doing a quick Google search. I want to say it was Ravens because I think I was upset about it. And the Ravens are kind of scaring me. They went two spots away from each other. I know Quentin Johnston went to the Ravens. Chargers, and Zay, Zay, Flowers, Zay Flowers went to the Ravens. Giants attempted to trade up for him. Okay, there you go. So both of those guys, it was publicized that they were working out with Pat. And then with Zay, it got even more heavy-handed when they were saying, oh, he's talking, He's they're, they're talking him up, and he's talking about how much he would love to play for Pat and communication with Kansas City. The Casey Wolf was hugging him. I was like, is this a done deal? There's all this buzz. And it's tough to sift through what's real and what's BS going into the draft. And so that kind of got people thinking, okay, are the Chiefs going to be aggressive? Are they going to go up and maybe trade for Zay Flowers? But then all of a sudden you get to the second round. They take Felix in the first round. You knew wide receiver was a position they were going to target. And they trade up to pick 55 to get Rasheed Rice. And Rasheed Rice was not a nobody name. He may not have been one of those high-profile names, but he was a name that was sort of tossed out there as a potential day two pick. Right. So they go up and get him, familiar with his game, kind of a polarizing prospect because physically, <laughs> this dude is a monster. Like he, Kayla, he's a wide receiver squatting 500 pounds. That, that video just, is insane. <laughs> you just don't see that from players of his position. 41-inch vertical at the Combine. Just crazy, explosive athlete. Are we still concerned about his size? <laughs> and I'm not concerned about his size, but how much do we talk about that with these receivers? Kayla, mm -hmm. we were like, all these guys are 5'8", they're 5'9", they're 180 pounds. Like, can I just get a guy that looks like a receiver? Rasheed Rice, 6'1", 205, super freakishly strong, freakishly explosive. That guy looks the part. We'll see if he plays the part because there's a reason he was a second round guy. There's questions about his inconsistencies in college, had drop concerns. He was kind of playing in a ragtag offense. So we'll see how that all translates. But what's funny is he was down in Dallas. He went to SMU. He was down in Dallas working out with Pat. But guess what? They didn't ever publicize that. There were no reports. There were no Instagram videos. And it goes to show, remember this, next year and every single year when we're talking about these rumors, these smoke screens, these things that are coming out last second, the guys they want... They're never going to publish. They don't wave their hands in the air and say, we really like this guy. There was a report they were being linked to Jameer Gibbs the running back that they would potentially trade up to get him. He went 12th overall. I don't believe for a second the Chiefs were ever seriously considering trading up for Jameer Gibbs. They may have liked his game if he was at pick 30, but he went 12th overall. They're not going to let you know Veach that they're in love with the guy. Veach isn't sharing his secrets. That's right. What, because, because what, what, what benefit would that be to the Chiefs to say, hey, we love this dude? This is the guy we want. You think the rest of the teams around the league aren't going to pay attention to that and say, well, if you love him, then we're going to make sure we don't let him get to you. And instead, they stand pat at 31. Next round, they trade up to 55. And I can promise you this. They're sitting here today thinking that guy is going to be better than those dudes who went. Yep. One. Because exactly right. Every single year. You can tell me all you want about pedigree, draft grades, 
well, where these guys were being slotted, but I can go to every single draft of the past 10 years and find you two or three dudes in the second round who are better than two or three dudes that went ahead of them in the first round. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen with Rasheed Rice, but it wouldn't shock me whatsoever. Okay, so that's what I want to ask you. Were Zay and Quentin total smoke screens for Rasheed? Also, Rasheed Rice sounds like a future NFL star name. I tweeted that. No one liked it. But good name. And he's got name. the look. I'm telling you right now, he's got the look. He's got the look to him. Mm-hmm. I, can't quite, I can't quite describe it. Can't quite put my finger on it. But do you ever think that too? Do you ever think, do you ever look at athletes and you're just like, that guy kind of looks like a star? Yes. I just got, he's just got the star look. He's just got something about him. Like Deion Sanders has that. They're just every once in a while you look at a guy and you're like, mm-hmm. just based off aesthetics alone, I feel like it works. I think that they probably did like Quentin Johnston and, and Zay Flowers. And I think if the price was right and they had an opportunity to trade up, they would have seriously considered it. But instead, they got to wait an extra round, get Felix, who could end up being one of the top five edge rushers, which is a very, very important position as well. But we talked about this a lot. We talked about this a lot leading up to the draft. I thought the value of wide receivers in the second round was better than the value of wide receivers in the first round. Because in the first round, you're talking about guys like Quentin Johnston, who has a lot of questions about how ready he is to play wide receiver in the NFL or Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, these guys who are just a little bit undersized. Like you just don't see stud receivers in the NFL who are built like that. But Rasheed Rice, 6-1-2-0, like that's what NFL receivers look like. We'll see if he plays like it. Like that's the big question. He's a polarizing prospect, but he looks the part. And you were able to get that guy 30 picks later than everybody else got their receivers. There's some potential value in that if he ends up hitting. Okay. Looking at this draft class, how much of an impact do you think they're going to make in 2023? I'll be honest with you, Kayla. I know like can we top last year, (laughs) last year just went so well. Impossible. That's as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. You had, you had nine rookies who played in the Super Bowl. You're not getting that again. But that's okay. Because last year's draft class, the idea was that you needed to get younger on defense. And even if only half those guys play, you would have thought of it as a successful season. Instead, it's nine of them. Seven of them were, were playing routinely throughout the year. That's as good as it gets. No team should ever expect to get that out of a draft class. This year's draft class, only seven guys. And I'll be honest with you, this felt like more of of an upside draft class. This felt more of a, a bunch of dudes who maybe will compete for starting jobs in year one, but I'm not sure how many like legit full season starters you got out of this class for 2023. And I think that's okay. Because Because it went so well last year, you don't need it. Well, how many starting spots are up for grabs on this team? You know, Mm. we don't know. uh, Right tackle. So you drafted Wanye Morris out of Oklahoma in the third round. I think there's a legitimate chance he competes for that starting right tackle job in year one. Yeah. Aside from that, I think Felix will play right away, but we know how it works on defensive line. 
Like, what is it? What exactly is a starter? Like, there were a lot of games where George wasn't out there the first series last year. But by the end of the game, you look at how much he played and he was, you know, second on the team in snaps at, at the defensive end spot. So that's always going to be a rotation. They're always going to move guys in and there'll be six or seven dudes who play throughout the game. But if you told me by week eight that he's second or third on the team in snaps, that to me counts as being a starter, even if it doesn't officially qualify. Rasheed Rice is the interesting one because up, upside, it's there. But year one? I want to know how he competes with Sky Moore. Who's going to get more reps this season? Well, think about it. Let's think about what these guys do. I mean, the Chiefs have been telling anyone who would listen. Lewis Riddick, James Palmer, all these dudes who are in the know, they keep working it into their reports that, okay, I saw another one today, Nate Taylor of The Athletic. He said, hey, the opportunity for Kadarius, Tour to be, Kadarius Tony to be the number one is, is right there. They're not just saying this for no reason. They're saying it because the Chiefs are telling them that. And at some point, I do think you got to judge a team based off what they're telling you. And if the Chiefs are going to keep telling us that Kadarius Tony is going to be the number one, then okay, I'll judge you based off that. And if he is clearly not a number one, then we get to sort of hold it against you and say, hey, this is what you said. You kind of told us that he was going to be the number one. So, okay, Kadarius Tony is going to be your number one. Marquez Valdez-Gantling, say what you want about his production. He was out there all year. Like his snaps never waned. And I fully Huge expect fan of MBS. So I fully expect like he's just he's like uh he's like Consistent. An he's an innings eater in baseball. Like he may not be the best guy, but he's gonna give you snaps. He's gonna be out there. He has a job. He's a speedster, he's gonna keep defenses honest. Okay, he's gonna play. From there, it's sort of up in the air. I do think Sky's going to play, but what does that role look like? Can he fill in and be your slot receiver? Is he good enough to be that that legit number three? I got a trivia question for you. Uh-oh. I looked this up today. Well, that's last, year's, last year's team. No, 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 no. This is, this is for you, though. <laughs> last year's team, uh, it, it was Juju, who was number one on the team in snaps at wide receiver. Right behind him was Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So he was second in receiver snaps. Mm -hmm. Which receiver do you think was third in snaps for the Chiefs last year? Behind Juju and MVS? Uh-huh. Am I supposed to say Sky Moore? Well, you... Is you that can... what you're going... Is that what you're getting at? Um, but that doesn't feel right. I'll give you. I'll give you names. I'll give you names. So there's Sky Moore. There Kadarius is Tony. Kadarius Tony. There is McCole Hardman. But he was out there, most of the season. Yeah, exactly. There's Justin Watson. <gasps> I love Justin I think, Watson. I think that's. I think that's it. So I which feel like the answer is Sky Moore, but it doesn't seem possible. Justin Watson. Ding ding ding! You I got love it. him. It was Justin Watson. But think about that, Kayla. Justin Watson was third wow. on the team in wide receiver snaps. I see what you're getting at. That's so crazy. Gotta, so you got to tell me, first off, 
I think it's a rhetorical question. Is Justin Watts going to be third on this team in snaps this year? I don't think so. Talk about Mr. Reliable when you need him. I think that was happenstance, though. I think it was just McColl got injured, like you mm-hmm. said. Darius was injured a lot. Sky Moore was a rookie. They were bringing him along. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, hey, Justin Watson kind of does his job, so we'll throw him out there. But I don't think that's going to be the case this year. But with Juju gone, a lot of snaps to replace. You think it's going to be Kadarius, but his injury concern, concerns are real. So can he be that guy? Sky Moore maybe takes a bit of a step in year two. The opportunity is there for Rasheed Rice. Yep. If this guy's just a stud and they can't keep him off the field, it's not that hard to figure out a a formula for where all of a sudden he's one of your number, you know, two or three wide receivers. But I could just as easily lay out a scenario where he's like wide receiver five or six on this team. Personally, I'm entering this season sort of treating it like a college football rookie or freshman where he's like have, has a red shirt year. Really? But that's what I like. I almost like it. Take like if a, you yeah, were, step back, learn get comfortable because think about it like a, like a Georgia or Al- if you're a freshman at Georgia or Alabama, even if you're a five star, you're not expected to be the dude your freshman year. You're expected to just sort of come in, mind your P's and Q's, learn the playbook, learn the coaches, you know, earn the respect of the players in the locker room. Nobody's expecting you to be a star right away. But then by year two, you start to play more. You start to get the trust more, and then that's when you can kind of start to flourish. Kansas City is as close as you have to a college program where it's just like, hey, doesn't really matter who comes in. Doesn't really matter the name on the back of the jersey. You're playing for the Chiefs. You're playing with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. You are going to be expected to perform whenever your name is called. But the beautiful thing is we don't need you. We're going to be good with or without you. So we don't need you, and we don't need you right now. I don't think this team needs Rasheed Rice to be great right now. I think that's the case with a lot of these dudes. I don't think they need Felix to be great right right away. I think they'd like to move him in and work him in. They don't need Wanya Morris to be great. They don't need Chamari Connor out of Virginia Tech to be great right away. That is the beautiful situation that the Chiefs have put themselves in with how well they've done in the draft in years past. They drafted so many guys who became immediate starters. Mm Mm-hmm that I don't know if any of these seven guys in the class should be expected to be starters from day one. In fact, I'd take it a step further. Outside of Felix, I don't think any of the other guys are going to start right away. I think Wanya Morris has a chance at right tackle. But like, I don't think I don't think Rasheed Rice is going to start, and, and I don't think most of this, the guys from this class are going to start, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Just get in here, learn the playbook, Learn the culture, get to know your teammates, earn their respect, earn the trust of the players around you. And then when you're ready, whenever that moment comes, you'll get your chance. But this is not the type of team. Like if you go play for the Bears or the Texans or the Jets right now, they stink. So they're going to play you right away because they don't really have any other body. The Chiefs have bodies and they're not going to play you just to play you just because they spent a second round pick on you. Two follow-up questions really quick. I can't believe I'm even asking this. Do we win the Super Bowl last year without last year's rookie class? No. Is that a valid question? No, dude. Think about, think, okay. 
I'll Georgie just, Porgy. Okay, George, George and, Georgie Porgy and Trent were great. But the two <laughs> guys I look at, Pacheco and Jalen Watson. Pacheco, huge. Yep, and Jalen Watson. Jalen Watson had, what, two picks in the postseason? Yes, and then the one in the Chargers game. He yeah, had one in the AFC he, Championship and... He sealed that game. The game against too. the Jags. Yeah, you're right. You don't win those, like, clutch interceptions. Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh round, scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. He balled out the second half of the season. What are you doing without those guys? You throwing Clyde out there? Like, seriously? Like, no, no. To answer your question, no. I don't think you do. That was one of the biggest storylines, and I do not think it was overblown. Like, the, that rookie class, you, you can't start four rookies in the secondary and win a Super Bowl, but that's exactly what the Chiefs did last year. It's insane. <laughs> Crazy. Whereas I'm looking at this class and I'm like, we can still win if none of these people play. That's a um, beautiful spot to be in, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you're right. Second question was, do you have a favorite pick from this draft? Mm. I could I could go a couple different ways with this. Where she Rice is the easy answer, just because yeah. you know it's wide receiver, sexy. Um, you know, Felix is a guy we talked a lot about. I like that one. The one that kind of got me intrigued. Wanye Morris is exciting out of Oklahoma. This is a guy who started two years at Tennessee, actually played next to Trey Smith at Tennessee. He transferred to Oklahoma. His first year, he was a backup to Anton Harrison, who was a first-round pick. Left tackle. Then last year, senior, they move him to right tackle. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a work in progress, but there's a reason why the Chiefs really like him, because he... Like technically, like his some of his like his PFF stuff, it wasn't great. Like he didn't get graded out super highly, but long arms, athlete, strong socks, greasiest hips in the draft <laughs> class. I mean, the Chiefs they went after greasy boys, and they got one. They got one of the greasiest man. That guy's got Crisco in the hips, and I love it. So I think well, he 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 he's exciting because you may have found a long term starter at right tackle. I think mm -hmm. there's a legitimate chance you got that. Chamari Connor out of Virginia Tech. He's not a guy that I'd spent much time looking into before the draft. And then the more on uh, the more on Saturday I started looking into this guy, I was like, oh man, this guy plays hard. He is a downhill, he's a safety slash corner, but that's exactly the type of guy that Steve Spagnuolo loves. Versatile defensive back, put them all over the field. Great special teamers. You talk to some of his coaches and his teammates at Virginia Tech, they were like, he doesn't care where he plays. He'll play special teams and he'll bring it just like a do-anything guy, doesn't ever complain. He loves to get downhill and tackle ball carriers. Like I think he immediately comes in, competes for a nickel corner spot, and then next year when you have decisions to make, right? Like Juan Thornhill's gone now. We don't know what Brian Cook's future is long-term. We don't know after this year whether Justin Reed's going to be around. You're going to have to make a decision on Legereus Sneed. I just think that even if he doesn't play a ton this year, I think he'll play on special teams from day one, even if he's not like a starter this year. Come like year two, I, I really think this guy could be an exciting piece on the back end of the defense. I just love the way he plays. 
He loves to get physical. He loves to hit dudes. He loves to get involved in the run game. That's exactly what you want from like this nickel corner, strong safety, however they end up playing him. I just feel like he's one of those dudes who's going to find a role just because of how versatile he is and, and just how much of a team player he is. So I really like that pick in Shamari Connor. <laughs> what are you laughing at? So what I'm hearing from you is you like all the picks. I do, but here's why is I'm not putting a bunch of athletes. I saw your tweets about that. It is. And and that's something that's, it's not, it's no joke because it's easy to say, well, all these guys are athletes who wouldn't target athletes, but specifically they went after explosive players, guys who scored really well in the broad jump or really well in the, uh, the vertical jump. Like that shows explosiveness an explosion is a very specific type of athleticism. They didn't get a bunch of burners. Right. They didn't get a bunch of guys like Rasheed Rice doesn't run a four threes, doesn't run a four, he runs a four five. There's a lot of receivers who run four five. Not a lot of receivers who have 41 inch verticals and can squat 500 pounds. That's True. explosion. Chamari Connor, same thing. Like even the guys that BJ Thompson, the guy they drafted out of Stephen F. Austin, like what? This dude's six. Four, 239, not exactly a premier size and weight distribution for a defensive end. And then you see his, his verticals like 39. When he was a Baylor, he was doing a dunk contest with the basketball team. Explosive, long athletes. They say, okay, we'll take the measurables and then we'll coach you up. We'll take the things that we can't coach, that nobody can coach, and then we'll get you in our system. We'll teach you how to actually play football. That is... That's what you get to do when you don't need guys to contribute right away. It's, hey, we don't need you to be great right away. But you have stuff. Because if you're a team that's chasing Kayla, if you're the Bengals or the Bills, or yeah. if you're in an even worse position, like if you're a team that's like just trying to like get over the hump and get into a competitive sort of realm, you don't have the luxury of drafting guys you can wait two, three years on. You need guys to come in and help you right away because mm -hmm. the time is now. You got to capitalize on this window. That is not the spot the Chiefs are in. They are in a great position to just sort of sit back, take these high upside dudes that they can coach up for a couple of years. And that's, it's an exciting time knowing that the Chiefs said, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to draft the dudes with the most potential because we don't, we're not chasing anymore. We got two rings. We'll let everybody else chase while we go and try and make our team deeper and better. I love Never it. Never a doubt. Veach killed it That's as right. we knew he would. I am getting a little worried about the Ravens, but we'll save that for another podcast. Um, last question really quick, Nick. Do you think Clark Hunt would have allowed Brett Veach to trade out of the first round if they really wanted to? Because I know for a second there, people thought it might actually happen. But then I'm like, no way. We're hosting the draft. They're going to make a pick in the first round. All these people came to see the Chiefs make a pick. They're not going to not pick in the first round but then pete sweeney was like i think they might trade out what would have happened if that did in fact take place yeah, i want to hear your answer first do you think honest to god and brett veach has answered this question every which way and he said you know that a lot of that's been overblown he would have let us trade out again that's him talking about his boss what's he gonna do say yeah clark didn't i wanted to trade out but clark wouldn't let me of course you're He's the owner of the team. You can't exactly like throw him under the bus, but and I'm not even saying he would have. I'm just curious. What is your answer? Do you think if there was a perfect trade sitting there, 
that Clark Hunt would have been okay with him trading out of the first round. That's really tough because you're making big decisions for your team, but you're also wanting to appease the broadcast, the fans, the crowd, the hoopla of it. And I know Brett Veach has said many times we had our wish list on our board. Felix was still there. So we took him. Um, also, I don't know how these things, these decisions get made so quickly. Like Clark's back there ready to walk out and they're just going to like, it takes me 10 minutes to write one single text. I don't know how they make these decisions as quickly as they do. Anyway. Well, you start to get an idea, right? Just to answer that question a little bit, you start to get an idea of, of what players are going to be left. And as we've said, you give first round grades to certain players and you put them in ranges. So you may say like, Hey, we're comfortable taking this guy anywhere from pick 25 to 35. And so if you have if you have Felix at the tail end of that range, you may say, you know, we're good with it, but we could probably trade back and get him in the second round and maybe get an extra pick out of it. And then you turn to Clark and he's sitting there with the ring on the Lombardi trophy in hand. <laughs> he's ready to walk to out. He's ready to go. Because I, I have my answer and I and I don't know how controversial it is. And I was not, I would have given a different answer before the draft started. If Felix wasn't there, I don't know what would have happened. But the fact that he had been a name thrown around, he was in a lot of mock drafts as going to the Chiefs. It kind of seemed like a thing where they could have taken it or leave it. I don't know. Well, it's because it's, I'll tell you this, because I'll tell you this. It sounds like they tried to trade up for Mozzie Smith out of Michigan. They couldn't yes. do that. Like if Miles Murphy's there at 31, I think they're rushing to get the card in. But with Felix, he's an interesting guy. Because Felix is not someone I feel like they they looked at and said, Holy cow, I can't believe he's still here. Oh, what a steal. Let's get this card in. I think I don't think it was a reach. I think it was just sort of one of those picks where you say, Eh, he's still okay. there. We'll take him. He's there. Hometown he kid. We, Good he story. Fits what, he fits what we need. He's in the range. It's not a reach. We could probably trade out. But then you look over at Clark and you say, I really don't want to be the one to go and tell him <laughs> that we're trading out. <laughs> and it sounds like they, they would have. And, and the, the conversation that Brett Beach relayed on, on 610 the other day was that he kind of said, if they could have traded out to a more advantageous range, like if they could have traded back just like six to 10 picks, they probably would have done it. But that wasn't on the table. Like it was okay. going to be, mid, it was going to be like mid, mid to late forties, and that was trading back too far for what they were comfortable with. I did. So that's why that. they didn't end up doing it. But I will just say this: after seeing how it played out, where Clark Hunt's basically clicking his heels together as he runs <laughs> onto the stage with the Lombardi trophy <laughs> and the ring on, and then he makes the pick and they zoom out, and there's red and gold fireworks cascading into the Kansas City skyline. I said. Okay, I have officially changed my prediction. There is a 0% chance that they were ever going to be able to trade out of that spot. It would have had to be the deal of a lifetime. And honestly, I'm okay with it. I'm only okay with it because of the pick they got. If it would have been a guy that they had to reach on that, that didn't fit into their system or to their the positions that they needed, I would have been like, come on, we could do better than that. But they got an edge rusher. They got mm -hmm. a guy, Kayla, that we talked a lot about. I think he's a good fit. I think he's a good player. He's young. He's talented. Local kid aside, he was super productive in college. So it makes sense. But I just want to be perfectly clear. There is no way. They didn't have to draft him. 
Uh, there was no way they were going to be able to trade out of that spot after seeing the show <laughs> that put on with that final pick. I also, we, we know Veach and Andy Reid are not going to do a bad, make a bad business decision. No, no, They're gonna, no. always going to have the best interest of the team. So if it was something that they weren't comfortable with, then I think, yeah, a trade would have happened. But like you said, it would have been too far back and it didn't make sense. So everything worked out. Nice little bow. Chiefs killed another draft. It was epic. Everyone said it was one of the best drafts they've ever seen. Made me so happy. I mean, it was certainly cool on TV and it was cool for the city. So two thumbs up for me. And we'll leave it at that. Perfect. <laughs> he is Nick Schwert. I am Kayla Canaram. This is It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. You guys have a good one and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>